Um, good morning, everybody. My name's Chance, and I'm the associate pastor here at Cross Point. Um, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and get those out. We'll be in uh, Exodus chapter 30. And when you find it, you can go ahead and stand up as we read this morning. We'll continue the uh, pattern the last few weeks of going through a whole chapter. So we'll be verses 1 through 38. I'm in a different book of the Bible. It would help to be in the right book. Exodus 30, verses 1 through 38. This is the Word of God. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and around its side and its horns. You shall make a molding of gold around it. You shall make two golden rings for it under its moldings on two opposite sides. Of it you shall make them, and they shall be holders for the poles with which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony, where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it every morning when he dresses the lamps he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering. And you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on his horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. He shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this half a shekel. According to the shekel of the sanctuary, this shekel is twenty geras. Half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 21 years and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than the the half shekel when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord, so as to make atonement for your lives. The, The Lord said to Moses, you shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar. You shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his sons, uh, his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet, and uh, and, and it shall be a statue forever to them, even to him, to his offspring throughout their generations. The Lord said to, then said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much 
that is 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And ye shall make of these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it ye shall anoint the tent of the meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the table, and all its utensils, and the lampstand, and its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering, with all its utensils, and the basin, and its stand. You shall consecrate them, that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. Ye shall anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them, that they may serve as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, This shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person, and you shall make no other like it in, comp- in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from the people. The Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, stacti, and onicha, and... Galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense, of each there shall be an equal part. And make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. Let's pray. God, thank you for your, your scriptures. Thank you for your kindness on us and your mercy on us this morning. That we're reminded as the sun rises, they're new to us, God. So we rest in knowing that you've made us new. Uh, and, and only because of your spirit that dwells in us are we really able to understand this. So God, I pray that you do what only you can do this morning, that you could tell us the truth. So I pray for your spirit to guide us, and that as we see who you are, and as we see how you want this world to be, that we would worship you, we would glorify you, and we would follow you. So teach us, Father. Thank you so much the gift of your son, and thank you that even in this text in Exodus, we will see it clearly. The story of your son, Jesus, as an offering for us. We love you. Would you be with us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can take a seat. Well, as you guys spend more time with me, around me, uh, one of the things that you'll know about me is that I, I just love to laugh. Um, I, I love funny things. I love jokes, uh, and I like, I like making funny things. I like making jokes. Uh, and my, my two youngest girls, if you're around them, you'll know that they too like to laugh. And they're silly, and they, I think they've, they've gotten it kind of from me. Um, in fact, my oldest, Chloe, she's five. Um, she's in extended session right now, so I'm going I'm to tell you a joke that she wrote. And now, now she's five, so she understands like the, the construction of a joke where you have a, like a setup and a punchline, and she, she hears the rhythm of jokes, but she hadn't quite wrapped her head around uh, the content and how, how the wordplay might make things funny. So, so I videoed this, and then I transcribed it. I want to get it right. It's her intellectual property. This is an actual joke she told me a few weeks ago. 
Why will you squeeze a lemon on a chicken's head and in his eye and kick him with your feet? Because it's a chicken bok bok. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it needs a little bit of work. <laughs> um, I have a few notes for her. You know, as she gets older, we'll talk about that. But it, there is just something really great about sharing something that I love uh, with my kids. And I hope that as they grow up, as they get older, that we'll continue to share things that might not always be joke writing. Um, but I do hope that we get to share in some of the things, that she'll learn some of the things from me and, uh, and her mom, Lanya, and then we'll be able to experience and share this life together. So what, what we're seeing here in Exodus, especially in the last few chapters, is kind of the same thing, where God is showing us all these things. He's showing us the, the tabernacle furniture, and what he's doing is he's wanting to share himself with his people. And we'll see that even further this morning as we look at chapter 30, uh, that God wants us to enjoy being with him and to share in who he is. So at first glance, this chapter really does kind of seem like a hodgepodge of things. We're going to see an altar for incense, uh, a census tax, a bronze basin, and then some oil and some incense. So what do all these things have to do um, with enjoying and being with God? Well, we'll see uh, that he's wanting to do that with us. So one of the things I want us to see this morning is that each of these things in this chapter are showing us how God sees the world and that we should see them in the same way. So God's showing us how he's, he views his creation, and he wants us to see it in the same way. So our first point this morning, we're going to have four of them. Uh, and this is in the first 10 verses of this chapter, and it's simply this, that God delights in our worship. God delights in our worship, and we see this specifically in the way that God describes the altar of incense to us. So if you look at it, it some of the descriptions might look familiar to you, especially in terms of the, the type of material that's being used to build this altar. It's of gold, and it's the same descriptions that you get of the ark, that you get of the table of bread and the lampstand. Uh, and it's, it's the fact that there's gold being used to build this ark. And if you remember, remember what we've talked about in the past, that the type of metals that are being used in the construction are reminding us of the proximity that these items have with the presence of God. So in the Holy of Holies, you've got the ark that's got gold all over it. The poles are made of gold, and as you get into the holy place, it's still close, not as close, but close. So the table of bread, the, the altar of incense that we see here, the lampstand, they're all made of gold. So that's exactly where we're seeing ourselves here with the altar of incense. Verse 6 tells us exactly where this thing's going to be. It says, you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony, in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony, where I will meet with you. So if you can imagine, we've seen that model, that the image of the tabernacle, and you've got the outside court of the tabernacle, and then you go into the holy place, where that's where the, the table of bread is where the lampstand is, and then there's this curtain that separates you from the most holy place, and right behind that is the Ark of the Covenant. Right in front of that curtain is where this altar is going to stay. 
It's being separated by this curtain, and this curtain separates it from the ark where I will meet with you, says verse 6. That's exactly uh, where we see ourselves. This is the place where God will meet with Moses. So this area has to be holy. It must be holy. So the altar, it's in front of this, uh, and it's, that's its location. But we also are told about its purpose in this chapter as well. So it's right there in front of that curtain, but what's its purpose? And its purpose is in verse 7. It tells us the incense will be burnt on the morning and during the evening when they tend to the light of the lamps. So in the morning and the evening, we learned last week that this is the same time that the, the, off, the priests are going to offer a lamb daily. They're going to offer a lamb in the morning, and they're going to offer a lamb in the evening. I think there's, there's at least three things that we can see that God is communicating in the way that he's describing this. One, this incense altar, as you light this incense, you'll see smoke coming up. You'll smell the fragrance of the incense. I, I think the smoke is going to signify us, or is supposed to mimic the smoke of the offerings that are going to be happening at the same time, right? We learned last week, offerings are going to be offered in the morning and in the evening. So I think the smoke in the holy place from the incense is showing us that that's happening at the same time, right? There's, there's sacrifice that has to be made in order for this whole process to exist. So the incense is just a parallel reminder of what's going on, and it's imagery of the offering that's going up to God. So that's the first thing. Two, I think the smoke and the fragrance, because of it being in the morning and in the evening, is reminding us of a new creation. How, how do we get that? Well, if, if you think of the phrase, in the evening and in the morning, I, I believe we're supposed to be reminded of that same phrase in the creation story. So it's supposed to remind us uh, of Genesis 1, where at the end of each day, uh, the narrator says what? It says, and it was evening, or it was morning, and then it was evening, the first day. And it was morning, and it was evening, the second day, and so forth and so on. So this sm smoke from the incense that's going to be lit in the morning and the evening is reminding us of creation, but it's reminding of, of the difference uh, between that time and, and this time that this is being written. And the difference is sin. Creation, perfection, God and his holiness, he makes it all. In the evening, in the morning, the days are being uh, separated simply by his words and his creation, and then the sun and the moon, right? But now, this, this part in history, morning and evening is being separated by this offering and this lamb that's being sacrificed and that smoke that is happening at the same time as that sacrifice. This is a different time in Israel's history that's marked by sin, and God's dealing with that sin in that sacrifice. So this incense is teaching us and showing us about that. Sin has corrupted the world, and sin has to be dealt with, and this is the way that God is instructing on how we are to deal with it. The third thing uh, is in Psalm 141, verse 2. So you can flip there if you want. You don't have to. Psalm 141, verse 2 says this, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. 
Revelations 5.8 says this, And we had, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So here, in these two verses, we see incense being connected with the prayer of God's people. So we see this image. We get the, the picture in our mind of the smoke rising in the tabernacle. And the rising of the smoke is the rising of the worship and the prayers that the priests are giving, right? That Israelites are coming to the court of tabernacles. They're offering their cattle as sacrifices. And as these, these smoke of that offering is happening, the incense is happening as well. So the incense is our worship. The incense is the dedication and the worship of his people. God delights in our worship, but what these, what these verses are showing us is that we don't have free reign over how we think we ought to worship God. God is very clear, and he's very specific in the way that in which they're supposed to go about this. And it's the same for us today. We we, we can't bring unauthorized incense into the tabernacle. This is the instruction from God. So God invites us to worship, but he alone shows us how. Jesus invites us into the family of God. But it's, we don't get to be a part of the family any way that we want to. What does Jesus say? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus is saying. So we don't have the liberty to come to God, to come to Jesus any way that we want to. And we see this really clear uh, in Leviticus chapter 10. Because, you can flip there if you want, it's just a couple of verses, you don't have to flip there. Just think about this. God has given us a specific set of instructions on how to worship him. So has Jesus come to the Father only through me, is what Jesus says. So when we try to come to him in our own goodness, in our own righteousness, we do exactly what's going to happen here in Leviticus chapter 10. This is after the priests uh, are, are actually consecrated. They're doing all these, they're starting to make these offerings. And Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they're ministering in the tabernacle. And it says, uh, they go before the Lord and they offer unauthorized fire. This is exactly, exactly what Exodus 30 tells them not to do. He gives them a very clear and plain instruction of how they're supposed to operate. Aaron and his sons, they go before the Lord with an, and they offer unauthorized fire. And this is what happens. Because of this, they died there before the Lord. God delights in our worship. He delights in our prayers as they're offered up like incense, but they have to be done. Our worship has to, to look the way that he's called it to look, and that is only through trust and obedience in Jesus. We can't, we can't do it on our own strength. We can't try to formulate this this new way of worship, we can only be obedient with what God has called us to do in his scripture. God delights in our worship. He delights in the worship that he's called us to use. God also requires that our worship 
be devoted to him and him alone. And this is our second point. God delights in our devotion. And this is in the the next few verses, verses 11 through 16, that God delights in our devotion. As I grew up, I grew up a St. Louis Cardinals fan. Anybody else like the Cardinals? That's okay. I grew up a St. Louis Cardinals fan, uh, and, and let me tell you, as a kid in 1998, 1999, it was a good year to be a Cardinals fan, because that is when Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa had their home run race. And I was in a car accident earlier that year. I, I couldn't play baseball for a little while. That's a story for another day. Uh, look both ways, kids. Look both ways. Um, so 1998, I was watching baseball with my dad, because uh, that's really what we could, could do. I couldn't really do anything else. And Mark McGuire, he's in a Cardinals uniform. He's hitting all these home runs. And Sammy Sosa, he is in a Cubs uniform. Now, if you know anything about a Cardinals fan, you know that they do not like the Chicago Cubs. So it was very easy for me uh, to root for Mark McGuire because he was in a Cardinals uniform. Nothing against Sammy Sosa, but he was a Cub, and I just couldn't root for him. Now, if you would have seen me at school during this time, and I had a Cubs hat on, or I had a Cubs shirt on, you would question my devotion to the St. Louis Cardinals, and rightly so. And that didn't happen. I was a true fan. And the same thing is kind of happening here in the book of Exodus. God is asking us to pick a side. Who are you going to be devoted to? And so God is delighted in our devotion to him. So what is this census tax? What does this have to do with devotion? I'm going to be honest with you. These, these four or five verses, um, they were really difficult for me to, to really understand as I was studying this week. I had to spend some extra time here. And it seems, it seems difficult. It seems a bit random and out of place. Um, but this is what the census is telling us. Taking a census uh, was dangerous business. Uh, so much so that a ransom must be taken in order for a plague not to occur. And we see this uh, later on in Israel's history in 2 Samuel 24. Uh, it tells us that David, King David, calls for a census. Um, and the reason for the taking of a census was really just a couple things. One, uh, you know, it's, if you're a government agency, it helps to know who you're governing, how many you got. So a census very well could have just been, hey, let's see who we got so that we can know who we're responsible for. Uh, But a bigger one is that a census allowed you to see how strong your military was. So if a neighboring country comes uh, uh, and um, and they seem like a danger to, to you as a nation, you know what you got and you know how you can defend yourself. Now, that's not that big of a deal in and of itself, but what we see is that David is trusting in his military power rather than trusting in God, rather than trusting in his power. So, because of David's decision, a plague falls onto the people. David realizes his sin. He cries out to God. He repents of his sin, and then he goes to make an offering. So he goes he buys this land from a guy, and he buys some cattle from a guy. And the guy's like, can I just give it to you? And David says, no, I have to pay for this. I have to pay a ransom for what I've done. 
So he buys this land, he builds an altar, and he sacrifices these cattle, and, uh, and the plague stops. And God, it, God stops because David made atonement for what he's done. So God, he wants Israel devoted to him. He wants their complete devotion, but he knows their heart. So he puts in place this census tax in order for them to have some skin in the game to not think of themselves as too good. He said, I'm going to require you to pay this census tax so that you'll remember whose power is whose. It's God's power. They have no reason to trust in their own strength. They have no formal training. They've just come out of a, out of a neighboring country as slaves. They've got nothing. So God says, I'm going to give you this tax. I want you to be completely devoted to them. God delights in Israel's devotion. But that's not, in this tax, we also see the character of God. And we see that he sees all of Israel as equal in dignity and value. How do we see that? It's in the price of the tax. Whether they're poor, whether they're wealthy, they all offer the same amount. God loves his people, and he sees them for how they truly are and for who they truly are, which is what? Image bearers. So as they give to this census tax, they're reminded that they are seen by God as equal. So for us, in the way that we give and the way that we live, are we devoted solely to him? Or is our devotion split? When we work, are our efforts solely to glorify God? Or is it split between myself and God? Why do I do what I do? Why do I work hard? Why do I do my job? Is it to, to please people? Is it for my own comfort? Is it for our own comfort in our bank account? Or are we living and working in a way that it's purely out of the response of God's mercy and grace on our lives? When we work, when we act, is it to glorify God or is it for our own selfish gain? God does call us to work hard. He does call us to excellence. Uh, but it's just out of response for the beautiful work that's been done for us. He's made us brand new, and our devotion uh, should be to him and to him alone. And God also makes it clear uh, that since he values everybody the same, that we too should look on everybody the way that God looks at us. That it doesn't matter where we've come from. It doesn't matter how much we make, how little we make. It doesn't matter what sin we struggle with. We're image bearers, just like the person next to us. We do not have the latitude to think less of others for any reason. We see all this in the census task. God delights in our devotion. Number three, God also delights in our purity. This is verses 17 through 21. Now before we eat, what do we do? We wash our hands, right? Most of us. We wash our hands a lot of times before preparing food, especially fruits and vegetables. We wash our fruits and vegetables. Uh, why do we do this? I think it's because we value being clean. 
we value cleanliness. And what we're seeing here is that God, too, is concerned about our cleanliness. He's concerned about how clean we are. And we see this in the bronze basin. God gives them the instructions uh, to the builders to build this bronze basin so that they can wash themselves. And this is, is not for consecration. We saw this last, uh, last Sunday. In fact, I think this, uh, there will be water that is used to consecrate the, the priests in Leviticus. Um, but this, this water that we're going to be talking about here, this basin that we're talking about here, is for daily and routine cleansing. Now notice a couple things. Uh, the type of metal that's being used, right? If we see the type of metal describing the proximity between us and the presence of God, this bronze basin is going to be in the court of the tabernacle, further away from the presence of God. Um, it's, it's not quite like the ark. It's not quite like the, the, the altar for incense. Um, but this bronze basin is in the court of tabernacle, and it's used for them to wash their hands and their feet. Because what are they doing in the tabernacle? They're making and offering sacrifices. Uh, they're slaughtering animals. And there's a need for them to be clean. God's concerned about their cleanliness. Uh, there's probably, I mean, there is, there's animals, there's dirt and excrement that's, you know, inevitably it's going to be on these animals. And if the place of God is the tabernacle, if the dwelling place of God is the tabernacle, there cannot be any of this in it. It must be holy. So God gives them a way to be clean. And gives them a way to clean themselves. God commands the priest to wash before he touches any of these furniture items. They're going to go into the holy place. They have to wash because what they have just done is common and unclean. And if they do not, they will defile the furniture and it says that they will die. So he gives them this basin. He gives them this opportunity to wash so that they will not die. God wants to dwell with his people, and in order for us to be able to do so, we must be cleansed. And we don't see this in any better way than in Jesus, our great high priest. He has cleansed us once and for all through his sacrifice on the cross. 1 John chapter 1, 7-9, this is not on your outline. 1 John 1, 7-9 says this, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is our pure and spotless lamb, and he's the only way that we can be presented as clean before a holy God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God delights in Jesus' purity. God delights in in his own purity, so much that he grants it to us through Jesus' obedience on the cross. So now we can stand before God white as snow. So the question for us is, do we live in light of this purity? 
Sometimes, but not all the time. Does our, our language reflect the purity of God? Does the way that we joke, the humor that we use, and I'm talking to myself, reflect the purity of God? Does this way we talk about each other reflect the purity of God? We have been made new. We've been washed clean. But we're still in the need of cleansing every day. We are seen by God when we trust in him. We are seen by God as righteous, just like his son. But this world is riddled with sin, and we need to constantly be cleansed of it. So we need to ask ourselves, whose standard of purity are we going to live in? The wisdom of the world or the wisdom of God? May we be a people that chooses the standard of purity that we see in his word. God's wisdom. Lastly, we see that God delights in his holiness. So the first three things, right, we're talking about us. Uh, he, de- he delights in our worship. God delights in our uh, devotion. God delights in our purity. But this last little section really does... Uh, shift a bit when it's focusing on the things that are God's. And what we're seeing is that God delights in his own holiness. We've discussed the altar and how it was built and where it was, but here in this last section, verses 22 through 38, we're going to see what's going to be done with the altar. There's going to be incense that's burnt on it, and we also see how the incense is made and how this anointing oil is made. So the oil and the incense are both made with the finest spices. It's a really cool list. The items in this list are incredibly valuable items. Why? Because God deserves the best. And he deserves to be set apart. And that's what's happening with this anointing oil. The oil is going to be uh, anointing all the furniture, all the curtains, even the priests, as they are set apart for God's use. So he requires the best. And these oils, uh, it's also told to us that the oils and the incense cannot be used for any other thing. God is completely set apart, and his stuff is completely set apart, his tent and the items as well. There must be a distinction made between what is to be used for normal things and what is to be used for God. You can't just go to Bed Bath & Beyond or Bath & Body Works, find the incense oil, and light a candle. That is not the intended purpose for this. God wants it only for his use. And to the extent that the disobedience, right, if you break this commandment, you will be cut off from the people of God. God cares about his holiness in such a way, he delights in his holiness in such a way that he creates boundaries for us. He creates boundaries for how to use these tabernacle materials. And you know, only, only God can delight in his holiness. Right? When, we, when we think about ourselves just in our own strength and our own power, we have nothing to offer God in the way of holiness. God alone, he deserves this worship. He delights in his holiness. He calls us to do the same. He sets apart the oil and the incense for his use. And we are called to be set apart for his use, just like this oil, just like this incense. 
Romans 12, 2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. In our own strength, we have nothing holy about us. Our very best still falls short, and Romans 3.23 reminds us of that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we know the gospel. We know the truth of the scriptures. Thankfully, God has made a way for us to share in this holiness. He delights in his holiness, and he gives us the opportunity to share in it with him. Romans 5.8 says this, But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for me and for you. In order for this to happen, we must see ourselves in our truest state. On our own, we are sinful people. We must see Jesus for as he truly is. The Son of God, God in human form and the ultimate sacrifice so that we can now share in his holiness. God is calling each of us to let go of our own title as Lord and place it on Jesus. Jesus is king. Jesus is the true Lord. We need to remember that. We need to be reminded of that every now and then. We are not the king of our own life. If we try to, we're going to come up short every single time. So some of you might be here this morning, and you might be wrestling with this. I've been the Lord of my life every day that I've been alive. What do I do? If you've got questions about that, if you want to hear more about that, we want to talk to you. We want to walk alongside of you and tell you more about this gospel, that Jesus, the Son of Man, lived the life that we could not live. He lived a life of perfection. He died the death that we deserved. And he did not stay in the grave, but he rose from the grave, defeating death and sin. And he sits at the right hand of God forevermore. And one day, he will return. And he will make all things new. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the truth of your word. I thank you for your holiness. Thank you for your purity. Thank you for your grace that you've given us the ability and the instruction on how to share in that with you. So Father, as we devote our lives to you, I pray that you will give us grace. You will you will show us where we fall short. You will convict us of our sin and that we would run after you in obedience. You are good. And you alone deserve worship. So as we sing, I pray that we, uh, we turn from our brokenness and we look only to you, a holy God, who's worthy of praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray.